0: Is. <laughs> so, um, good to see you all today and welcome to CPC Coffee and Twitter time. Um, so, ever since the election finished, we got David again. So, um, David is teaching the politics uh, at the <laughs> Pomona College and he has been in the expert before. 20 years. Yeah, 27 years. 27 years. So, um, as like we are, uh, he also was upset of the result of the uh, election. But um, we can talk more, and we can listen, and discussion follows. Okay, let's welcome David. So, what I'm gonna
1: run, I can run through this selectively I don't have to show you all of this this is a presentation that I prepared for a talk at the manor um, several days ago um, on the 15th and um, rather than rework all my slides I thought I would just sort of show you what I had um, and then we can talk as much or as little about this um, the thing that I th- this is a much more formal presentation than I was going to do here so you know I had a, an outline of what I was going to do and, and And uh, and, and the way I started was um, to say to them that there's a a kind of a paradox that we're studying in my elections class, which is that on one hand, um, elections in the United States are enormously consequential um, in who controls governments in the United States um, and what they do with that control. Um, and this election is like that. I mean, this is this is an enorm- This will continue to be an enormously consequential election. On the other hand, um, when you ask, when you do research on voters and voting, um, and how the election conveys information to government officials about what voters want and what voters think it is an enormously imperfect uh, system. And so you have this muddle on one side of what voters are thinking and what they intend and messages they want to convey, um, what their understanding is of the consequence of an election, and that is a, is a deep muddle. And on the other hand, the consequences of the elections are, are very stark and clear and sharp and authoritative. And so we are in almost an a, a ultimate example of that today. The only, exam, the only example that I can think of that compares with this um, is 2000, um, where, similarly, um, uh, most voters didn't choose the consequence um, of the election, but it had massive consequences. Um, and so the other thing I told them was, Yes, I was surprised. Um, I, I find this enormously humbling um, that it turns out that um, a lot of what I was teaching these students was simply wrong. Um, and and um, I, I, that has conditioned everything that I've said since. And I will tell you the same thing this morning, that um, you should take anything that I say to you with a pound of salt. Um, because you know the, the enterprise that I'm involved in in studying these things has just been shown to be um, short-sighted and, and and wrong so um, but the other thing about this is that um, I haven't been sleeping much uh, and and I imagine that's true for some of you as well um, and, and so I don't yet have really sharp thinking about this and so so th- there will be a, a lot of sort of arm waving Um, so I've just chosen a few topics Um, so what just happened Um, the on the face of it um, this is a map that was made Michigan is not yet dark blue Um, they're still counting votes, um, and especially at the time that I did this presentation which is five days ago um, it was still possible at that point that Michigan could flip um, and and it is still possible it's it's unlikely that Michigan will flip but one of the things that I I want that to bring home is that votes continue to be counted the way that the uh, American system works is it's tremendously decentralized Um, and um, votes are usually counted at the precinct or county level and and every county has a different um, ballot and every county has a slightly different voting system Um, and um, one of the things that was created you know, after the um, well, one one of the things that exists in laws is called a provisional ballot, which is if you don't, if a voter does not appear on the rolls at a precinct, they can request that they be given a, a provisional ballot, and those ballots are counted by hand, um, where someone looks at the name and the signature and the address and the information about that voter, and then they they look into the roles of the precinct and find out whether or not that person is a legitimate voter, and then that that ballot is either counted or not counted. That hand-based process takes days and days and days. There are literally millions of uh, provisional ballots that have been cast, um, and those (coughs) are still being counted. Um, In general, um, votes are certified two weeks after the election. So, so unless there are some extenuating circumstances which there might be um, in some cases we will know the final vote counts this Tuesday Um, and and so the um, yeah so the the results look sweeping in the sort of blue and and red maps Um, but um, it's it's it was a tremendously close election as you know Um, and and so I, I created some graphs for that audience the orange this is this is the last presidential elections, 2000, 2004, 8, 12, 16. Um, the orange line is how many votes were cast in raw numbers. The the blue line is the number of votes that were cast for president for, Demo- for the Democratic nominee. The, the red line is the number of votes that were cast for the Republican nominee. And the green is the accumulated non-Democratic, non-Republican candidates. Um, these numbers have changed since that day five days ago. Um, uh, Hillary Clinton is now getting fairly close to uh, where Barack Obama was in, in 2012, and in the number of votes cast for her. Um, and and uh, the number of votes, mostly because the, the votes that have been counted since last week have mostly been in California. Um, and so the, those are primarily Democratic votes. Um, and so the, the, the increase is mostly on this blue line. Um, So one of the things that you can take away from this is that many of the kind of immediate journalistic accounts of the election were wrong. Um, One of them was that there had been a decline in voter turnout, that it was such a a horrible set of choices of candidates that voters were were discouraged and and didn't turn out. Um, uh, The numbers of people who voted actually increased in this election. The population has grown by about 5% um, since 2012 in the United States. And the number of voters has apparently increased by a little over three. So there was a slight decline in turnout rate, but the number of voters has increased. Um, similarly, people talked about Hillary Clinton as a uniquely unattractive candidate um, that, that people um, couldn't bring themselves to vote for. Um, and now one of the things that's clear is that she's gotten more votes for president than anyone in American history not named Barack Obama. Um, so. Um, that's, I mean, it's, it's an important thing that part of the press coverage of the Clintons since the 1990s has always been um, aggressively negative um, and incapable of portraying them in a positive light. That's, that's been true for 25 years, and so we can't really expect, expect that they're going to cover Hillary Clinton any differently from that. And so this will always be the portrayal of her, is that she's this uniquely unattractive candidate, when in fact she got about almost 65 million votes. So that, that will just be the way that journalists will portray this. Um, another thing that's striking about this graph is the, is the red bar. that um, the, the relationship between the red bar and the blue bar. You can see that the blue bar changes a lot from election to election. Um, the red bar does not. Um, and so one of the things that's interesting about the American political system right now is that Republican presidential candidates um, consistently get about 60 or 61 million votes. Um, And Democratic candidates get a pretty wide variety. Uh, Barack Obama in 2008, um, when there was the highest turnout election in a long time, got about 69 million votes. Um, And and in 2012, which was a slightly lower turnout, he got about 65 million. And and Clinton got about 63.5 million, almost 64 million. But the Republican candidates get the same number across all of those. That's an interesting sort of historical uh, artifact. Um, It also one of the things that we have to remember is that winning and losing lodges itself in our minds in these powerful ways. Um, We will, even though um, Al Gore won the popular vote um, nationally and was cheated in Florida um, by a a systematic disenfranchisement effort that was mounted by Jeb Bush and Catherine Harris, the Secretary of State, I mean, Al Gore should have been President of the United States, but we will always remember him as a loser who ran a bad campaign. Um, Similarly... Um, Donald Trump will get a lower percentage of the vote than Mitt Romney did in 2012, Um, and it now appears that he will get slightly more votes than Mitt Romney did, but it appeared for a time that he wouldn't get as many votes as Mitt Romney, but we will always remember Mitt Romney as a loser, and we will remember Donald Trump as a winner. And history will think about them in those ways, that Mitt Romney ran a uniquely stupid and strategically clumsy campaign even though he got a higher percentage of the vote than Donald Trump did. And so it's important that we sort of check ourselves and, 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 and when we're consuming sort of journalistic coverage, which is much more interested in broad generalizations, even when those generalizations are often wrong. Um, so these are, are numbers as of last week, if you want to look at numbers, but I, I'll, I'll skip past that. Um, one of the things that I talked about the last couple of times, though, was that even though it appeared to me that, that Clinton would win the presidency, and I thought that Democrats would win control of the Senate, you may remember that I said that, that below the national level, it's a thoroughly Republican system, um, and that, that that was unlikely to be challenged by this election. Um, that, it, it, that I was right about that one. I feel a little bit of perverse comfort <laughs> about that. So this is, yeah, this is a map of the states where Republicans control the, um, the governor's office and both chambers in the state legislature. Um, this is 25 states uh, in the United States. Um, and, and conversely, this is the map of the four states where Democrats control the governor's <laughs> office in both chambers in the de- of the state legislature. Right? So, the thing that I was telling you a couple of weeks ago continues to be true. Um, so that, that Rhode Island? What's that? Yeah. Rhode that's Rhode Island. Rhode Island, Rhode Island. Rhode Island, Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. The, there was all this journalistic coverage of a party in crisis and the Republican Party was facing death. And I was trying to tell you that that was not remotely true, that this is not a party that's really in trouble in any way. Um, even had they lost the presidency, this would not be a party that was in trouble. Um, this is this is the in governing terms. This is the party that is in control of the American political system, um, and it's it's important to not um, ignore that. Even though much of the journalistic coverage that you will read will ignore that, um, so that's that's an, that, that we're sort of being systematically deflected from from what the reality of the situation is. So that's that's what happened, um, and. If you want, I can talk a little bit about voting patterns and things like that. I don't know if, if you want to have that conversation, um, or if you want to talk about uh, what comes next, or talk about why people got it wrong. Um, a former student of mine named Drew Linzer, who graduated in 1998, um, is, I think, the best election forecaster in the United States. Um, and... and uh, he will be giving a talk on the Pomona campus on the 29th um, at noon in Carnegie. Um, and I've lured him down from Northern California to come and talk about what they got wrong. And Drew and I have been exchanging a lot of emails. Um, and um, the, the, what he has pointed out to me is that um, it appears that, the, that at the presidential level, The polls were off by about three points on average Um, at the Senate candidate level at the Senate level they were off by more than five on average Um, and this is a a really interesting challenge Um, why were they off Um, and I want to remind you the point that I made earlier that that it looks like a very big error because it was enough for the presidency to be called wrong. But it's important to note that we thought the forecasters were brilliant in 2012, and the, the average um, amount that they were off, he said it's, two, it's about 2.2 to 2.5% off this year. Um, in 2012, they were off by an average of 3.3. But it didn't change the outcome. And so now we think that these forecasters are uniquely incompetent, when actually what they're doing is getting more accurate, rather than less accurate. Um, And and the point that that carries home is that um, in an extremely close election, which this was, any small factor is enough to change the outcome. If you take on 100,000 votes and flip them, in Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, um, you uh, Hillary Clinton is president. That's not that unusual. Hundred thousand votes, you flip it, right? And so when you when you have an election that's that close, any single factor um, was enough to flip it, right? And so you can identify some small constituency or some small event or some small technology glitch or uh, voter disenfranchisement, or turnout, or anything, anything is enough to flip 100,000 votes. Right? And the thing is that they they all did it together, um, and so all of them together are what's causal, but any single thing is not enough to, to flip this election. Yes, yeah, Stephen? Yeah.
2: That, that raises the question of, uh, did one party, uh, the Republican Party, know better who those 100,000, where those 100,000 people were than the Democrats did? And
1: is that the way our political system is now going to be operating? Or we um, down to the I would say no, um, because um, this this is one of those instances where we have to be careful not to ascribe too much control to the winner. Um, the reason that Trump had an unusually incoherent victory speech
3: um,
1: is because he thought he was going to lose. Um, and his, right. And <laughs> I said it unusually and usually, right? uh, but his people his people thought he was going to lose. His pollsters thought he was going to lose, um, All of his data people thought he was going to lose. This, this wasn't something and, and one of the things that Drew has said is that the, the journalistic polls that we were seeing um, were no worse than the ones that were being done by the people inside the campaigns. Because he's talked to people inside both the Democratic and Republican campaigns. And their data looked very much like the journalistic polls. Um, so there wasn't somebody out there with a kind of special sauce that got better surveys than anybody else. Um, this, this was a car accident. Um, yeah, no, yeah. But David, I've heard
3: um, people talking about a company that Trump gave $5 million to that does some kind of different data analysis. Mm-hmm. What, what is it and, and they were uh, the two weeks before the election I mean Kelly said I've seen her several times say we knew about two weeks before the election that we were going to win
1: yeah you'll also find a story um, from shortly the day after the election in Politico from the, where they interviewed Hillary Clinton people who said we knew we were in trouble um, And things were slipping away in the last three weeks. And they saw it slipping away. They were frantically trying to hang on. And the Trump people saw it coming toward them. And and they will of course tell you that they they knew. But they they
3: specifically said that they didn't look at the polls. That they looked at this data analysis that looks at where you go to the gym, Mm -hmm. what kind of car you bought, things like that. Is there a shift You know, or are we going to get more accurate information from, quote, big data, Mm -hmm. as opposed to the polls?
1: So, I published a book in 2000 called The Triumph of Campaign-Centered Politics. Um, And there's a chapter on this, um, about the development of big data. Um, And it's called From Groups to Categories. Um, And this has been something that's been emerging since the 1980s. Um, and especially since the 1990s in marketing and and the merging of marketing data with political survey data. Um, This is is not new. Um, And um, the the sophistication of it continues to grow. Um, And of course the people that won are going to tell you that they had some unique special sauce that let them see the future. Um, Because it will get them more business. But there's nothing particularly unusual about what they were doing. It, it, it's been going on for 20 years. Um, and the firm in Redlands that produ- produces Arcview um, is the, was one of the progenitors of this that was developing this stuff. I saw a presentation at the Rand Corporation in 1987 that showed me this kind of data analysis. Um, and it blew my mind. I and mean, that's why the chapter ended up in the book uh, uh, 10 years later. But uh, this is not, not new. This is not new.
3: But...
4: Does it matter whether they can predict it or not? Does that change how people vote? What they hear the no, posters right, say? No, right. That's
1: the right point. I mean, that's no. exactly the point. Is that, that it, it is descriptive? Um, it is descriptive information. They're not changing how people vote. They're simply describing how people vote. It enables you to 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 communicate with people knowing that information, like knowing what kind of car that I drive, lets them identify me more accurately. But they don't give me. They don't send car information to me to change my vote. Right, it, it's a, it's a targeting strategy, but you're exactly right. That's exactly the right way to think about it. It doesn't. It's not persuasive. It's descriptive. Uh, yeah.
2: But well, I read, and maybe this is just a post-election yeah. false claim, but yeah. I read that this this team in San Antonio had time enough to change the strategy and send send them to those so-called firewall states. Yeah. And the New York Times said, "Oh, this is just a." A random uh, shot in the dark and it actually was very well um... sure
1: yes that that has been true of every election for the past four cycles that they're using data that sends them to particular places and the data has varying quality um, and and this time it, it correlates with the outcome that they preferred but they're not talking about the states that they sent them to that they lost that they picked wrong, because this is journalism, it's not social science, right? I mean, they are, they, are, they are people who are trying to get business and to appear to be omnipotent, and so they'll tell you this, and then journalists will credulously report all of it um, as if it were true. Um, yeah, so that's the thing. Inter- and of course they're going to say that, right? It's going to get them more business.
3: Um, yeah? David, I really liked your bar chart, because it, what i learned from that was look at, you know, as you pointed out, how consistent the Republican vote is yep. and then the Democratic vote. But what I looked at was those third-party candidates. Right. Yeah, that's right. yeah. Yeah. It really looks like where the election was lost was yeah. Democrats voting for the third-party candidates.
1: Um, you could describe it that way. I mean, that's, similarly, this is, this is Ralph Nader, right? right. So we, we all remember that well. Yeah. And this is one of the differences between one of the things I'm enjoying about this conversation that, that is difficult when I talk with students is that they don't have any memories. Right. <laughs> so so they, everything seems like this is the only election that's ever happened in the history of America. And so, and so I can, yeah. So, so yes. So on the election, there are, on the election
3: night. I was watching those key states. Right. And it, it, yeah. I just wanted to scream because if you took the. Green voters yeah. and move them to the blue voters. She won. Sure, so and, but, and conversely, Trumps, then,
1: if you took the Gary yeah. Johnson libertarians and gave them to Donald Trump, you would oh, have yeah. win the popular vote. So yeah. yes, it, I mean it's a it's a risky business to try to um, reallocate those votes because the people who cast those votes, when you talk to them later, they can't unknow the outcome of the election. Right, um, and so they can't answer the question about what they would have done instead if they hadn't voted for Gary Johnson without knowing what the outcome was. And, yeah. it's, and so we, it's something that we can't unknow.
4: But didn't they feel that there would be uh, uh, Republican voters that were you know, not interested in Trump going to the third party? Campaign?
1: Sure, yes. Yeah, There and there were.
4: I thought that was more than right. Democrats going to the third
1: party. Well, one of the things that we're trying to sort out is that there are, I mean, just trying to think like a... A good social scientist. I mean, how could the polls have been wrong? Um, there are s- several possibilities. One is that they had sort of bad sampling. Another is that people reported inaccurately what they were going to do. Um, another is that's coming up interestingly now. The polls that were off the most were the state level polls, yeah. state by state. Um, and one of the things that we find is that the states where there was the most polling late. Are the ones that got it the most accurate. And the states where there wasn't a lot of polling late got it the most wrong, um, which indicates that people decided late. Um, and the polls didn't capture it. Um, and that's what Drew, that's what Drew thinks. He thinks that there were a bunch of people hanging out in the I don't know category. Um, and they disproportionately broke toward Trump at the end. And this, this, was, this is why Clinton says that James Comey's intervention was decisive, yep. is that, is that the, the, it's a correlation. I mean, after James, I mean, James Comey came out with his, his thing reminding people about email a week yeah. before the election, yeah. and then disproportionately the people that decided after that voted for Trump rather than Clinton. Now, that's, I don't want to do the logical fallacy that this happened after that, therefore it happened because of that. <laughs> But, but those two things correlate. Um, and so one of the things that, um, that came out in the, the interviews with Clinton people the day after the election was the despair that they felt when Comey did that because they lost an ability to make a closing argument because they were fending off things about the email. And so from, from that perspective, um, the intervention by the FBI to prevent Hillary Clinton from becoming president starts to look uncomfortably like a coup. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. And, and that's, that's frightening to me. Um, that is frightening. And, or the Russian government hacking into computers and then using Julian Assange to systematically leak email, and then the press credulously reporting only on that rather than on anything else, begins to look like a foreign intervention in the American election. Mm-hmm. And that frightens me. Um,
3: but Yeah, Jane. Well, I'm also frightened by the accounts of voter suppression. You know, the places where they... Dramatically reduced the number of polling places. Right. One polling yeah, place for hundreds. hundreds of thousands of Democrats. <laughs> and Democrats. Um, yeah. uh, and a lot of this happened fairly late. Yeah. <laughs> and places where uh, the Supreme Court had said they could not uh, require certain kinds of ID, right. but in fact the signs posted said that they must have that ID.
1: In North Carolina, particularly, where it was a jumble of court decisions going back and forth and back and forth. And it finally got to the point in the last two weeks where people didn't even really know what the rules were supposed to be. Um, And it was very uncertain. And in North Carolina, um, the presidential was fairly close. Um, uh, Let's see. Okay, so this is um, a spreadsheet that anybody can access online, which is the live vote, um, the live vote count. Um, it's being done by a guy named David Wasserman at the Quick Political Report. He's done it for the past several elections. Um, so as of this morning, um, Clinton is... So Trump will get 46.7% of the popular vote. Mitt Romney got 47.1%, by the way. Um, uh, he will get more votes than Trump. But look at North Carolina... And um, it's not that close. I mean, Trump won the state by 186,000 votes. Um, But um, Michigan... um, Yeah, 12,000 votes out of 5 million cast. Um, Wisconsin, uh, 27,000 votes out of 3 million cast. Um, so, one of the things that's happening now, this is how social science is different from journalism. And my colleague uh, Ken Mayer at the University of Wisconsin, they're launching a research project to find out how many people were disenfranchised in Wisconsin by the voter ID laws and by the reduction in the number of polling places. So, the lines were long and people just simply left. Um, and, and so, you know, it, it'll be like 2000 when we learned about all of the things that happened for voters' voter enfranchisement in Florida. And we now know that Gore probably should have won Florida by 60 or 70,000 votes. And he lost by 637. So, but you know, the thing that, when I'm feeling. Yeah, yeah, when I'm I'm feeling really uh, discouraged about things, one of the things that I will say to students, when I went in on Wednesday and I said, So, uh, Clinton has now gone up more than a million. She's going to win the popular vote by more than a million. And they just looked at me and I said, Well, and and you know, what comes with that, if, you, if, the, if the popular vote victory goes over a million, you get a free cup of coffee at the International House of Pancakes. Um, Being be able to to identify that <laughs> that um, Al Gore should have won Florida, woulda, shoulda, coulda, it doesn't matter. Um, and the same thing is true about this voter disenfranchisement. Yeah. It's a woulda, shoulda, coulda. Trump is president. It doesn't matter. Um, so what and, do and we do now? Yeah, that's a really good question. Yeah, yeah. Well, first yeah. of all, don't move together. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or at least <laughs> registered. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, uh, Anthony, Anthony, Anthony. What a, this goes
3: back to your map yeah. showing the Republican governors, like the state yeah. thing. Exactly. That, because that's how These you people get, control the government. the vote. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So yeah. it's like somehow you have to get control of the state houses yeah. in the states. Right.
1: Right. I think that's right. It's also true though, this is also true right um, and these are this is county level data about the difference between um, the the Romney vote and the Trump vote and the darker the green the bigger the shift um, and um, that is also true I mean the, the, the American political system is fought I mean the election is contested under a set of rules all the candidates know what the rules are and you have to win under the rules um, and you know Trump won under the rules. And so when people are coming to him and saying the Electoral College skewed this election, he said, those are the rules. You know, if you would have had the rules some other way, I would have won the other way. You know, like you can't you, you can't go back and say, yes, but if the if the votes have been counted X way, then I would have won. Well then they would have contested it differently. <laughs> Um, Sounds yeah. different. It wasn't rigged after all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm wondering, Donald Trump, this president, what do you think about the first three sort of hard right uh, picks mm. for Bannon, uh, um, Sessions, and the CIA guy, and if that's, if there's been precedent. If you can think of any former Republican administrations that are comparable in terms of those sure. picks. Sure. Yeah. Probably
3: while you're losing sleep.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah. So one of the things that I been telling students is to not underestimate the impact of this election, but also to not overestimate the impact of this election. So taking the overestimate part first, when I tell them don't overestimate the impact of this election, remember that most Americans did not choose this. That, that there are going to be some pretty radical things happening, but most Americans did not choose this. Um, so I, I tell them, they're not old enough to understand the difference between this, but you folks will. This is 2000, this isn't 1980. 19, in 1980, Ronald Reagan won in a landslide. And most Americans wanted him to be president and chose the policies that he was going to enact. In 2000, it was a traffic accident. And, and most Americans did not want George Bush to be president. Um, and, and so you could walk down the street knowing that the people who are around you in the country were people who didn't support George W. Bush's presidency. That was not true in 1980. And so I'm telling students, he did not take over the country, he took over the government. The country is the same country that it was before. And don't overestimate that um, and, and when you're walking around. Yeah, Tom, yeah. I, I
2: would even say, you know, I've had to come to grips with the idea that a lot of the people who ended up voting for Trump at the last minute are not really the bigots and the racists that, that, right. that you, you, know, right. the, the, you see at the rallies.
1: Yes, that's right. So one of the things that has been most interesting in, in the social sciences of, in the last 25 years has um, something that the jargon for it is what we call intersectionality. Um, and that's just a, a multisyllabic word for the idea that people's lives are complicated. That um, when we think about uh, how people experience the world and how the world affects them, we, we shouldn't treat people one-dimensionally. That, that people carry around their race, and they carry around their gender, and they carry around their class, and they carry around their religion and they carry around the region where they live, and they carry around a bunch of different dimensions. And if we want to understand people fully, we have to understand how those different dimensions of people's lives bang into each other. Um, And mostly, um, my students want to apply this to themselves, to talk about how their lives are complicated and people don't understand them, because they're 18 to 22 years old, and they're mostly adolescents, and they're trying to figure out where they are in the world, and they want to say, nobody understands me. Etc. Etc. But one of the things that I've been trying to do with them is to say intersectionality is a helpful tool in the social sciences. And it applies to everyone. It applies to everybody. It doesn't just apply to the people like us. It applies to Trump voters. And to simply say that Trump voters voted the way they did because of one dimension of their lives denies their humanity. Um, and. Doesn't acknowledge that there could be lots of reasons why they did that, um, and we have to think about that. It, um, it doesn't diminish the fact that they were willing to vote for a racist thug, but 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 the, they may have thought that they were voting to express objections to what's happened to that part of the world, um, which is dramatic. So it's important that we don't overestimate the election. It's also important that we don't underestimate the importance of this election. One of the things that we know is that in 2000, even though George W. Bush was elected in a traffic accident, he sought to govern like he had won in a landslide, right? We remember this, right? That the sweeping and consequential tax cuts that were enacted during the Bush years, the first round of them He signed into law on his third day in office. They did not even go to committee in the Senate. Um, So there is a kind of shock and awe dimension to the way that they intend to govern um, that is already on view. There is no indication that these folks have any intention whatsoever in being modest in the way that they're governing. They are going to govern as if they won in a landslide. Um, so that's, that's, the, that's the difference. So we, the, the election may be different, maybe 2000 rather than 1980, but the lesson that those leaders learned that they used in 2000 was to govern like it was 1980. And so George W. Bush put into place um, a set of people who wanted to uh, attack Iraq. Um, George W. Bush took out of place uh, Richard Clark, who was the Chief Terrorism Advisor, who was warning about Salman Bin Laden and Al-Qaeda, and, and took him out of the daily briefing the President in January of, of 2001. I mean, those were enormously consequential things, and they did not hesitate to do them. And that's my sense right now, is that these folks are giving us every indication that, that the lesson they learned from, from Ronald Reagan and George Bush, is they will attempt to govern as if they have won in a landslide. They are not going to listen to their opponents. Um, and they're not going to compromise and moderate anything. What about the impact on the Supreme Court? Well, they'll, they'll not control the Supreme Court probably for the rest of my yeah. life. Um, yeah, that, that just is what it is. That's pretty frightening. It is terrifying. Yeah. Yeah.
4: If- Upset and I've just been reeling since this election. I've been trying to focus on some of the uh, good points that happened. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have a Hispanic female senator coming from uh, Nevada. Mm -hmm. We have a handicapped veteran female coming from Illinois. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Trump went to Minnesota (coughs) the last day of the campaign and demeaned the Somali Mm -hmm. people in Minnesota. Yes. And they had a female Somali woman, a female Somali uh, win in the state Senate. Right. And I just, you know, that's what I am trying to concentrate on. Me too. There are those positives that came out of this. Yes,
1: I think that's right. The... The, yes I think that's right the, the question about what to do next um, is a is the place where my thoughts are the most jumbled um, yeah when I when I talk with students just as a teacher of politics one of the things that I talk with them about is the idea of strategic action which is trying to get things done and one of the things that I tell them is that strategic action there's a kind of a um is that um, you can think of this hierarchically. Which is that you figure out what your goals are, and then you figure out what strategies are possible to pursue those goals, and then there are tactics that advance that. But, But this is the thing that's supposed to be the most important. And one of the most common ways that human beings make mistakes is that... We figure out what our goal is, and then we develop a strategy to try to accomplish it. And then we get what's called goal displacement, where the strategy becomes a goal. Right? And so, for example, um, on the campus now, we're thinking about how to protect these dreamers. That's our goal, is to protect these dreamers. And um, one of the possible strategies for doing that is to declare the college a sanctuary campus of some kind. Um, And there are people, there's a range of views about that. You know, full disclosure, I signed a letter asking that the college try to go down that path. Um, But there's a range of, of views about thinking of the college as a sanctuary for these students, and all the way to people who think that that's a really bad strategy. One of the things that's happening in the debate is that people are presuming that if you oppose a sanctuary campus, you oppose their goal. Mm -hmm. And now there's this ugly debate going on within the college. Why do you hate us? Why do you disagree with us? Why are you trying to create vulnerability to these students? It's a very common human frailty of of getting this goal displacement problem, of getting all hung up on the strategies and thinking that they're the goals. Um, And so some of what I'm trying to do with students now, not in the classroom, because it would probably be inappropriate, um, but outside of classroom when I'm talking with students, when I can have a partisan conversation with students that agree with me. um, Because in the classroom there are students who disagree with me, and that's fine, that's the way it should be. My job is to teach students who agree with me and disagree with me, if I can not do that, I should quit. Um, And so, there are students in my classrooms who voted for Donald Trump, and I'm not going to stand up in a classroom and and trash Donald Trump, but if I'm meeting with students privately, then, then my role becomes more of that of a citizen and I can talk with them about, about what their goals are. But I'm trying to get them to think <coughs> clearly about what are the, what, what's your goal um, and uh, what are your goals. And um, there are lots of goals. I mean, this is the thing is that, that this administration is going to come at us with lots of things that we may not like. And I may have 17 different goals, and I'm going to have to let some of them go. Um, and so I'm going to have to try and figure out what the, the, the priorities are, which goals are more important than which other goals, um, and then figure out strategically what the possible ways of approaching this are. I mean, in general, my goal is to, to try to reduce the amount of change in national policy. That's, that's my goal. Um, Or that's one of my goals. I'm trying to do some kind of change in national policy. So, one of the strategies for doing that is to try to um, encourage Democratic senators to filibuster.
2: Um,
1: There are 52 Republican senators. Um, If Trump appoints a, a radical to the Supreme Court, are there three Republicans who would vote against, and who would they be?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Probably Susan Collins and Rand Paul of Kentucky, and I don't know. Lindsey
3: Graham.
1: Um, and, Lindsey and so yeah. Lindsey Graham. maybe yeah, maybe Lindsey Graham. But but that's the that's I a that's a strategy. That's not a goal thinking. So like winning over Lindsey Graham is not a goal. It's a strategy. And and so if somebody else has a different strategy. I'm trying really hard not to attack them. Um, and and that's, that's sort of my long answer to the question that you're asking. Yeah.
2: Well, what, the one suggested goal was in 2010 there was a, a Republican win compared to 2008. Yeah. What's the hope of 2018 having
1: a That's one of my other goals, is, is, to, is, to, is, to, to, is to take over the government. Um, that's, that's, what, that's what elections are about. They're, they're supposed to be a peaceful means of taking over governments. mean, they're, they're an alternative to war, right? And so the next available national election is in 2018. Yeah. It's a very, very dangerous moment because in the Senate, it is the Senate class that was elected in 2012. So there are 25 Democrats and only 7 or 8 Republicans in that class. Wow. So it's going to be very, very difficult for Democrats not to lose a lot of ground in the 2018 Um, Senate election Um, but it's possible I mean this was the elect in this election Republicans were defending something like 24 Senate seats and they only lost two right and so you know this is this is the challenge but I you know that's 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 a heavy 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 lift but the thing that we know about 2020 is that that's the year of the census and state legislatures that are elected in that year will redraw (laughs) the district lines for the next decade the way the Republicans did after the 2010 midterm. So, one of my goals is to take over the government in 2020. I don't know that that's I mean, not for me because I'm not running for office, but <laughs> but for, for my allies to take over the government. So, but that's the that's that kind of thinking, just very unsentimental thinking of what are the goals, um, what are possible strategies for accomplishing those goals, and then to not um, to not turn on each other um, with people who disagree. Period. Okay, uh, Electoral College, would yeah. it ever change? No. Should it change? And what would you do with it if you were a uh, czar? It doesn't matter. I mean, it's not going to change. And so, um, I mean, so I would love the Electoral College to change, but I would like a pony as well. Um, and, and it's just, it's not going to change. So, because of the three quarters. Yeah, you, exactly. So, you, to amend the Constitution, right, three right. quarters of the vote, so 18 states block it. It's not happening. There are more than 18 states that get an unfair advantage in the Electoral College, and they want to keep it. But but
3: what if states themselves changed how they...
1: There's too strong of an incentive for for, for states to defect. Um, So there will be states like Texas will not go to a proportional allocation of its electoral votes, as long as it's controlled. And California won't either. I mean, so California gives 55 Democratic votes to the Electoral College. If it were done district by district, um, it would probably be something like, you know, 35-20. I and mean, Democrats are not going to give up 20 electoral right. votes just because it's a nice thing to do. Everybody. <laughs> um. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. yes. Uh, yeah. Is it, um, is the, when,
2: the, when, they, when the politicians get together, who are the ones that are in charge, the, the people that are in power for,
1: the uh, electoral college you mean? No, or? no, no,
2: for redesigning the districts.
1: Um, it, it varies from state to state. In California, mm-hmm. it's not done by politicians at all. It's done by an independent commission. That's true in Iowa as well.
4: Because I think the Rose Institute did a lot in California for humanity. redoing that during the
1: It did. That's right. Um, and and, and um, in California, it's... It, Prior to the commission that was that was created by ballot initiative, it was a very very partisan thing. Um, but now in California, it's it's an independent commission, and there are some states I mean, that may be one of the things that that may be a reasonable strategy for having there be more um, appropriate representation of of people so that votes actually translate to seats in state legislatures and right, in, in the Congress. To be fair, the House vote this year. I was wrong. I thought the Democrats would win more votes for the House, and they didn't. It was it was uh, 50-47, yeah. with 3% going to non-Democrats and non-Republicans. So Republicans appear to have won the popular vote for the House by by about two and a half or three points. Um, their control of the House is much bigger than that, so it's disproportionate. But Democrats, I mean, Democrats got more votes for president and got more votes for the Senate, and lost both. Um, but they didn't get more votes for the House. Republicans got more votes for the House. Um, mm-hmm. we, we probably should stop. Just, sorry. Yeah. Um, yep. yeah. uh, we need to interrupt. I'm sorry about that. What time. time is Drew speaking? Um, at noon on the 29th in Carnegie 107. And you're welcome to it. Um, yeah.
0: Thanks David for your, uh, sharing your uh, wisdom and the kidney analysis and, and for the future. Um, thank you very much. We can applaud. Them too. <laughs> so, uh, next week, happy Thanksgiving. We don't have class next week, but two weeks later, on December 4th, we're going to have a painter, artist, mm-hmm. Hachi, with us oh, at this good. time. Oh, so, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. So, I'll see you then.